Welcome to Fast Asleep. We're so happy you've joined us again. Your visits are very much appreciated. Hey, back in episode 192, we brought you what turned out to be a very highly rated story of two young girls stumbling upon a barely disguised Marilyn Monroe in a bookstore. And we have the very prolific Joyce Carol Oates to thank for this possibly true story. Today, we again turn to Ms. Oates, now at the age of 84, for another mesmerizing tale. All right, let me ask you this. If a stranger came to your door, merely wishing to relive a bit of his childhood in his former home, which is now your home, would you let him? And here's another question to ask yourself. When you reach the story's conclusion, what is going to happen to this family next? All right. Like so many of our stories, this is really a good one. Tuck in, everybody. For Joyce Carol Oates, where is here? For years, they had lived without incident in their house in a quiet residential neighborhood when one evening at dusk, the doorbell rang and the father went to answer it and there on his doorstep stood a man he had never seen before. The stranger apologized for disturbing him at what was probably the dinner hour and explained that he'd once lived in the house. I mean, I was a child in this house. And since he was in the city on business, he thought he would drop by. He had not seen the house since January 1949, when he'd been 11 years old, and his widowed mother had sold it and moved away. But... He said he thought of it often, dreamt of it often, and never more powerfully than in recent months. Well, the father said, Would you like to come inside for a few minutes and look around? The stranger hesitated and then said shakily, Ah, I think I'll just poke around outside for a while, if you don't mind. That might be sufficient. He was in his late 40s, the father's approximate age. He wore a dark suit, conservatively cut. He was hatless, with thin, silver-tipped, neatly combed hair. A plain, sober intelligent face and frowning eyes. The father, reserved by nature, but genial and even gregarious when taken unaware, said amiably, Oh, of course we don't mind, <laughs> but I'm afraid many things have changed since 1949. 
So, in the chill, damp, deepening dusk, the stranger wandered around the property, while the mother set the dining room table, and the father peered covertly out the window. The children were upstairs in their rooms. Where is he now? The mother asked. He just went into the garage, the father said. The garage? What does he want in there? The mother said uneasily. Maybe you'd better go out there with him. He wouldn't want anyone with him, the father said. He moved stealthily to another window, peering through the curtains. A moment passed in silence. The mother paused in the act of setting down plates, neatly folded napkins, and the stainless steel cutlery said impatiently, And where is he now? I don't like this, the father said. Now he's coming out of the garage, and stepped back hastily from the window. Is he going now? the mother asked. Oh, I wish I'd answered the door. The father watched for a moment in silence, then said, He's headed into the backyard. Doing what? the mother asked. Not doing anything, just walking, the father said. He seems to have a slight limp. Oh, is he is he an older man? the mother asked. I, I didn't notice, the father confessed. Oh, Isn't that just like you, the mother said. She went on worriedly. He could be anyone, after all. Any kind of thief or mentally disturbed person or even murderer. Ringing our doorbell like that with no warning. and You don't even know what he looks like. The father had moved to another window and stood quietly watching, his cheek pressed against the glass. He's gone down to the old swings. Oh, I hope he won't sit in one of them, for memory's sake, and try to swing. Oh, the posts are rotted almost through. The mother drew breath to speak, but sighed instead, as if a powerful current of feeling had surged through her. The father was saying, Is it possible he remembers those swings from his childhood? Oh, I can't, I can't believe they're actually that old. The mother said vaguely, Well, they were old when we bought the house. The father said, But we're talking about 40 years or more. and Well, that's a long time. The mother sighed again, involuntarily. Oh, well. Poor man, she murmured. She was standing before her table, but no longer seeing it. In her hands were objects, forks, knives, spoons. She could not have named. She said, Well, we can't bar the door against him. That would be cruel. The father said, What? No, no one has barred any door against anyone. Put yourself in his place, the mother said. He told me he didn't want to come inside, the father said. Oh, isn't that just like you, the mother said in exasperation. Without a further word, she went to the back door 
and called out for the stranger to come inside if he wanted, when he was through with looking around outside. They introduced themselves rather shyly, giving names and forgetting names in the confusion of the moment. The stranger's handshake was cool and damp and tentative. He was smiling hard, blinking moisture from his eyes. Well, it was clear that entering his childhood home was enormously exciting, yet intimidating to him. Repeatedly, he said, uh, It's so nice of you to invite me in. I, I truly hate to disturb you. I'm really so grateful and um, so... But the perfect word eluded him. As he spoke, his eyes darted about the kitchen, almost like eyes out of control. He stood in an odd, stiff posture, hands gripping the lapels of his suit as if he meant to crush them. The mother, meaning to break the awkward silence, spoke warmly of their satisfaction with the house and the neighborhood, and the father concurred. But the stranger listened only politely and continued to stare and stare hard. Well, finally, he said that the kitchen had been so changed, so modernized, he almost didn't recognize it. The floor tile, the size of the windows, something about the position of the cupboards, all were different. But the sink was in the same place, of course, and the refrigerator and the stove and the door leading down to the basement. That is the door leading down to the basement, isn't it? He spoke strangely, staring at that door. For a moment, it appeared he might ask to be shown the basement. But the moment passed. Fortunately, this was not a part of the house. The father and mother would have been comfortable showing to a stranger. Finally, making an effort to smile, the stranger said, Your kitchen is so pleasant. He paused. For a moment, it seemed he had nothing further to say, and then a, a controlled sort of place. My mother, when we lived here, his words trailed off in a dreamy silence, and the father and the mother glanced at each other with carefully neutral expressions. On the window sill above the sink were several lushly blooming African violet plants in ceramic pots, and these the stranger made a show of admiring. Impulsively, he leaned over to sniff the flowers. Mm, lovely, though African violets have no smell. As if embarrassed, he said, Mother, too, had plants on this windowsill, but I don't recall them ever blooming. The mother said tactfully, Oh, well, they were probably the kind that don't bloom, like ivy. In the next room, the dining room, the stranger appeared to be even more 
deeply moved. For some time he stood staring, wordless. With fastidious slowness, he turned on his heel, blinking and frowning and tugging at his lower lip in a rough gesture that must have hurt. Finally, as if remembering the presence of his hosts and the necessity for some display of civility, the stranger expressed his admiration for the attractiveness of the room and its coziness. He'd remembered it as cavernous, with a ceiling twice as high. Oh, and dark, most of the time, he said, wonderingly. Dark by day, dark by night. The mother turned the lights of the little brass chandelier to their fullest. Shadows were dispersed like ragged ghosts, and the cut-glass fruit bowl at the center of the table glowed like an exquisite, multifaceted jewel. The stranger exclaimed in surprise. He extracted a handkerchief from his pocket and was dabbing carefully at his face where beads of perspiration shone. He said, as if thinking aloud, still wonderingly, my father was a unique man. Everyone who knew him admired him. He sat here, he said, gingerly touching the chair. It was, in fact, the father's chair at one end of the table. And mother sat there, he said, nearly pointing. I don't recall my own place or my sister's. I suppose it doesn't matter. I see you have four place settings, Mrs. Uh, two, two children, I suppose. A boy, 11, and a girl, 13, the mother said. The stranger stared, not at her, but at the table smiling. And so, too, we were, I mean, there were two of us, my sister and me. The mother said, as if not knowing what else to say, um, are you close? The stranger shrugged, distractedly, rather than rudely, and moved on to the living room. The room, cozily lit as well, was the most carefully furnished room in the house. Deep-piled wall-to-wall carpeting in hunter green, cheerful chintz drapes, a sofa and matching chairs in nubby heather green, framed reproductions of classic works of art, a gleaming gilt-framed mirror over the fireplace. Wasn't the living room impressive as a display in a furniture store. But the stranger said nothing at first. Indeed, his eyes narrowed sharply as if he were confronted with a disagreeable spectacle. He whispered, Oh, here too. Here too. 
he went to the fireplace, walking now with a decided limp. He drew his fingers with excruciating slowness along the mantle, as if testing its materiality. For some time, he merely stood and stared and listened. He tapped a section of the wall with his knuckles. There used to be a large water stain here, like a shadow. Was there, murmured the father, out of politeness, and, oh, was there, murmured the mother. Of course, neither had ever seen a water stain there. Then, noticing the window seat, the stranger uttered a soft, surprised cry and went to sit in it. He appeared delighted, hugging his knees like a child trying to make himself smaller. Ah, oh, this was one of my happy places, at least when father wasn't home. Oh, I'd hide away here for hours, reading, daydreaming, staring out the window. And sometimes mother would join me if she was in the mood, and we'd plot together. Oh, all sorts of fantastical things. The stranger remained sitting in the window seat for so long, tears shining in his eyes, that the father and mother, well, they almost feared he'd forgotten them. He was stroking the velvet fabric of the cushioned seat, gropingly and, well, touching the leaded window panes, wordlessly. The father and mother exchanged a glance. Who was this man? And how could they tactfully get rid of him? The father made a face, signaling impatience, and the mother shook her head without seeming to move it. For they couldn't be rude to a guest in their house. The stranger was saying in a slow, dazed voice, It all comes back to me now. How could I have forgotten? Mother used to read to me and tell me stories and ask me riddles. I couldn't answer. What creature walks on four legs in the morning, two legs at midday, uh... Oh, three legs in the evening. <laughs> what is round and flat, measuring mere inches in one direction and infinity in the other? <laughs> Out of what does our life arise? Out of what does our consciousness arise? Why are we here? Where is here? Oh, the father and the mother were perplexed by these strange words and hardly knew how to respond. The mother said uncertainly, 
Well, our daughter used to like to sit there, too, when she was younger. It, it is a lovely place. The father said, with surprising passion, I hate riddles. They're moronic, some, and obscure, the rest. He spoke with such uncharacteristic rudeness. The mother looked at him in surprise. Hurriedly, she said, Is your mother still living, Mr... Uh, no. No, not at all, the stranger said, rising abruptly from the window seat and looking at the mother as if she had said something mildly preposterous. Oh, well, I'm sorry, the mother said. Oh, please don't be, the stranger said. We've all been dead. They've all been dead a, a long time. The stranger's cheeks were deeply flushed, as if with anger, and his breath was quickened and audible. The visit might have ended at this point, but so clearly did the stranger expect to continue on upstairs, so purposefully, indeed almost defiantly, did he limp his way to the stairs, Well, neither the father nor the mother knew how to dissuade him. It was as if a force of nature, benign at the outset, now uncontrollable, had swept its way into their house. Well, the mother followed after him, saying nervously, Oh, I'm not sure what condition the rooms are in upstairs, the children's rooms especially. The stranger muttered that he did not care in the slightest about the condition of the household and continued on up without a backward glance. The father, his face burning with resentment and his heart accelerating as if in preparation for combat, had no choice but to follow the stranger and the mother up the stairs. He was flexing and unflexing his fingers as if to rid them of stiffness. On the landing, the stranger halted abruptly to examine a stained glass fan light. Oh, my God, I haven't thought of this in years. He spoke excitedly of how on tiptoe he used to stand and peek out through the diamonds of colored glass, red, blue, green, golden yellow, seeing with amazement the outside world so altered after such a lesson. It's hard to take the world on its own terms, isn't it? He asked. The father asked, annoyed. On, on what terms should it be taken then? The stranger replied, regarding him levelly, with just a perceptible degree of disdain. Why, none at all. It was the son's room, by coincidence, the stranger's old room, 
the stranger most wanted to see. Other rooms on the second floor, the master bedroom in particular, he decidedly did not want to see. Speaking of it, his mouth twitched, as if he'd been offered something repulsive to eat. The mother hurried on ahead to warn the boy to straighten up his room a bit. No one had expected a visitor this evening. So, you have two children, the stranger murmured, looking at the father with a small, quizzical smile. Why? The father stared at him as if he hadn't heard correctly. Why? he asked. Yes, why? the stranger repeated. They looked at each other for a long, strained moment. Then the stranger said quickly, But you love them, of course. The father controlled his temper and said, biting off his words, Of course. Of course. Of course, the stranger murmured, tugging at his necktie and loosening his collar. Otherwise, it would all come to an end. The two men were of approximately the same height, but the father was heavier in the shoulders and torso. His hair had thinned more severely so that the scalp of the crown was exposed, flushed, damp with perspiration, sullenly alight. With a stiff avuncular formality, the stranger shook the son's hand. So, this is your room now. So, you live here now, he murmured, as if the fact were an astonishment. Not used to shaking hands, the boy was stricken with shyness and cast his eyes down. The stranger limped past him, staring. Ah, the same, the same, walls, ceiling, floor, window. He drew his fingers slowly along the windowsill, around the frame, wrapped the glass, as if, again, testing materiality, stooped to look outside, but it was night, and nothing but his reflection bobbed in the glass, ghostly and insubstantial. He groped against the walls. He opened the closet door before the mother could protest. He sat heavily on the boy's bed, the springs creaking beneath him. He was panting, red-faced, dazed, and the ceiling overhead, he whispered. He nodded slowly and repeatedly, smiling, and the floor beneath, that is what is. He took out his handkerchief again and fastidiously wiped his face. He made a visible effort to compose himself. 
the father, in the doorway, <coughs> cleared his throat, and said, I'm afraid it is getting late. It's almost six. The mother said, oh, yes, I'm afraid. I'm afraid it is getting late. There's dinner, and the children have their homework. The stranger got to his feet. At his full height, he stood for a precarious moment, swaying as if the blood had drained from his head and he was in danger of fainting. But he steadied himself with a hand against the slanted dormer ceiling. He said, oh, 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 yes, I know. I've disturbed you terribly and you've been so kind. It seemed surely as if the stranger must leave now. As chance had it, he happened to spy on the boy's desk an open mathematics textbook in several smudged sheets of paper and impulsively offered to show the boy a mathematical riddle. You can take it to school tomorrow and surprise your teacher. So, out of dutiful politeness, the son sat down at his desk and the stranger leaned familiarly over him, demonstrating adroitly with a ruler and a pencil how what we call infinity can be contained within a small geometrical figure on a sheet of paper. Now first, you draw a square, and then you draw a triangle to fit inside the square, and then you draw a second triangle, and a third and a fourth, each to fit inside the square, but without their point coinciding. Mm -hmm. And as you continue here, son, uh, here, I'll, I'll show you, give me your hand, and I'll show you the border of the triangle's common outline gets more complex and measures larger and larger and soon you'll need a magnifying glass to see the details and then you'll need a microscope and so on and so forth forever forever laying triangles neatly down to fit inside the original square without their points coinciding. The stranger spoke with increasing fervor. Spittle gleamed in the corners of his mouth. The sun stared at the geometrical shapes rapidly materializing on the sheet of paper before him with no seeming comprehension, but with a rapt, staring fascination as if he dared not look away. After several minutes of this, the father came abruptly forward and dropped his hand on the stranger's shoulder. The visit is over, he said calmly. It was the first time since they'd shaken hands that the two men had touched, and the touch had a galvanic effect upon the stranger. He dropped the ruler and pencil at once, froze in his stooped posture, and burst into frightened tears. Well, now the visit truly was over. The stranger at last was leaving, 
having wiped away his tears and made a stoical effort to compose himself. But on the doorstep, to the father's astonishment, he made a final preposterous appeal. He wanted to see the basement. Just to sit on the stairs? In the dark? I wasn't the one who opened the door to that man in the first place, the mother said, coming up behind the father and touching his arm. Without seeming to know what he did, the father violently jerked his arm and thrust her away. Shut up! We'll forget it! he said. But we'll forget it. The mother entered the kitchen, walking slowly, as if she'd been struck a blow. In fact, a bruise the size of a pear would have materialized on her forearm by morning. When she reached out to steady herself, well, she misjudged the distance of the door frame. Or did the door frame recede an inch or two? And she nearly lost her balance. In the kitchen, the lights were dim. And an odor of sourish smoke, subtle but unmistakable, made her nostrils pinch. Well, she slammed the oven door, grabbed a pair of potholders with insulated linings. I wasn't the one. God damn you, she said, panting. And you know it. Good night.